episode 121, How to Manage Safe Bets in a Time of Uncertainty and Complexity. Today, I speak with Sherry Duvel from Metagram. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Mandates come and mandates go. So the magic trick becomes identifying the sure things, the pediments or the pillars or whatever you want to call it, that all the chaos rests upon and which aren't likely to change no matter what. Sometimes the best way to overcome the madness of disconnected complexity and uncertainty is to concentrate on the use case with bug-eyed focus. Sherry Duval, the CEO over at Metagram, explains how they do it. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Sherry. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Stacey. As we know, lots of things are uncertain right now. So it would make sense for anybody working in the healthcare space to be thinking about what's a sure thing, what kinds of cost efficiencies or what things must we be doing regardless of what happens with the ACA or some pilot program? How should we be thinking about those sure things? That's a great question, Stacey. And and really, by the end of this podcast, I would love for everybody to have specific ways that their organizations can address specific things whether they're related to bundled payments or whether they're related to any other payment model, whether it's Medicare, whether it's a a private payer, whether it's Medicaid. And so I I would say that there are certain principles that are known to impact cost. And those include things such as readmissions, things such as length of stay, and, and managing certain diagnoses that a lot of providers have a good amount of experience with through some of the initial bundled payment programs, and then also through some of the alternative payment models with some of the commercial payers. And so I I would say that with readmissions and length of stay, looking at your specific service lines and understanding how you're going to optimally manage those service lines is really, you can't go wrong with that. Does that answer your question? It does. So basically, regardless of what happens, there are certain, let's just say, underpinnings or pediments, which so many things reside on. And it's unlikely that, for example, if you <laughs> focus your energy on reducing readmissions, that that energy is going to go to naught. That's exactly right. Same thing for quality and other things related to using technology to make your service lines more efficient are not going to be things that are going to hinder any of the goals that become clear in the next months. Now, you had mentioned bundled payments as the last thing on your list. Are you considering bundled payments as one of those sure things? I actually think bundled payments is sort of a political hot potato uh, right now, uh, just because with it being mandated, the cardiac bundles in, in 98 market service areas uh, very recently. And and you may have heard that there's a lot of pushback to that. Uh, And you may have also heard that the nominated Secretary of Health and Human Services, Dr. Price, and some of his colleagues had written a letter decrying, you know, this speedy implementation of bundled payments so quickly after bundled payment for care improvement initiative. So I think that the way that things are named 
as certain programs, sometimes they're targeted for political activity, and that specific named program may or may not continue. It's hard to tell, right? But what I will say is what makes bundled payments really interesting to look at is that it's not just Medicare. So when when we're talking about things like BPCI and cardiac care bundled payment program that was announced, um, those are Medicare related, right? And, and Medicare is the biggest payer. So they are an important sort of trendsetter. But beyond Medicare, you've already seen some of the leading insurers out of the gate with these kinds of initiatives already, as well as Medicaid. And so I think it behooves providers not to put all of their eggs in watching the bundle payment basket, uh, but really in terms of, of really understanding what their payers are doing and getting insight on, on what they're planning and plan from there. Why was Dr. Price pushing back on the cardiac bundle just because he didn't feel like it was too many loose ends? It was too quick or were there more fundamental issues there? I'm not exactly sure on the timing of the letter that was sent by him and some of his house colleagues. But what I'll say is that the general sentiment from a lot of the physician leaders has been that it's just too much too quickly, right? And so, and, and as a technology provider, it's easy for me to understand all the work that needs to go into preparing providers to really tackle bundle payments, right? It's, it's a lot. They have to really take a look at their quality measures. They've got to really integrate with their physicians. You know, they have to have the EMR systems in place. And I, I think the feeling is that if you're looking at it from a, is this fair perspective, one of the reasons why advancing care information is here and replacing meaningful use is because the constraints of the usability of the information was not there. It did not support clinicians in achieving what they needed to tackle these alternative payment models, including bundled payments. So what I mean by that is that if you don't have access to information stuck in silos, then there's no possible way you can coordinate care and achieve the improvements that you need to, to score well, to do well in these programs. Okay, so I'm going to get back to that because that's kind of the how of it all. But uh, I'm a little bit fixated on what your opinion is relative to whether bundle payments, whatever you call them, because that's political magic trick number one. You you take something, you rename it, and suddenly it's brand new. So under whatever name, just like the item formerly known as bundle payments, whatever you want to call it, given the – I'm assuming, and I've seen numerous – studies and articles written to support this, that bundled payments are something that enable higher value care. They incentivize a provider organization and physicians to deliver better care more efficiently. A, do you agree with that? And B, do you feel like that is a widespread enough notion, bipartisanly, if that's a word, that regardless of what you call them, something such as bundled payments will continue regardless of what happens? I definitely think something such as bundled payments will continue regardless of what happens. I think something symbolic may happen to delay uh, or to name it something else, which is what I think will happen. And so let me just add a little bit of, of detail as to why it could be delayed or named something else. One thing that a lot of the providers being hospitals get frustrated about is that if they're in a heterogeneous service area, meaning a lot of diversity, that is very challenging in terms of managing care variation. Because as we've learned as an industry or multiple industries serving healthcare, a lot of the impact of the outcome of care 
has nothing to do with what happens in the hospital or even in the post-acute care setting, such as the skilled nursing. A lot of it has to do with that person's housing, you know, their transportation, their employment status. I think some of the challenges related to implementing bundled payments are related to how do they get designed and how do they get measured in the light of so many different kinds of factors um, that impact outcomes, patient outcomes, right? That's one thing. Uh, And then the second thing, as I had mentioned previously, is also just the technology support that allows for providers to understand where they can gauge how they're doing with certain quality metrics, as well as have the tools that they need to coordinate care. So with a bundled payment, what you see is like a hospital, for example, having to have a a partnership uh, with a skilled nursing facility and with home health agencies. Right. And so you're coordinating care across settings. Sometimes it's multiple hospitals. If you have a community hospital and you have a nearby academic medical center, for example, in order to really be able to succeed in something like a bundled payment program, the providers need to have access to the information. That's what you're calling ACI. Basically, that if you're coordinating care, you're attempting to, might be the more operative term, if you're attempting to coordinate care across settings in order to achieve the bundled payment, then you have to have EMR systems or EHR systems that speak with each other. I mean, you have to have some interoperability there. You can't be like interoffice mailing. That's exactly right. You know, one of the challenges has been that the complexity of current integrations is amazing for a different podcast, perhaps for a different day. In terms of variation, you can see an implementation of the, the standards for some of these EMRs. And so that's one of the things we're really excited about with, with Metagram is that we saw an opportunity to build something parallel to the EMR layer, where we don't have to wait for the EMR to become interoperable. What we built into it was the ability for clinicians to communicate with multiple locations from within the same application. So we could address an instance where they're managing a bundled payment. One thing that I know you're a huge proponent of, my friend, is use cases. So I am am going to be confident that you have a use case to describe what you're talking about right now. I think a a good use case would be like a congestive heart failure patient, like one of our aunts or our grandmothers, right? So this is an 84-year-old woman. She's got uh, diabetes, um, and she gets admitted to the ED. uh, Let's say it's a Thursday morning. So what they find when she's in the ED is that she's presenting with elevated blood sugar. She's got elevated white blood cell count. What we're talking about here is, as you just said, we've got an 84-year-old, 85-year-old woman, and she's in one of the care settings. So she's in the, she got admitted to the ED on a Thursday morning. So I'm assuming in this use case that all of these care settings have Metagram installed, that that everybody in the story that you're about to tell or the narrative that you're about to tell has logged into Metagram and is on board with the operation. That would be correct? That would be correct. Yeah, that would be part of the design, the care team design and delivery design for the bundle. And I, I think I just want to jump in and say that before you even get to a discharge to an additional care setting, because with a, a bundle, what you're saying is the provider's managing a, a period of time, an episode, which is 30, 60 or 90 days. Uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to highlight is also length of stay mm-hmm. and, and length of stay within the hospital setting, which is just the acronym for how long was the patient there, it is highly impacted by getting the right information to the right person, 
And so when you think about length of stay in the hospital setting as well, it, it, the hospital is sort of a microcosm of the continuum of care, if you look at it, because in the hospital setting, you also have step-down unit, right? And so in order for the patient to progress through their treatment plan and get to the step-down unit uh, in a timely manner requires that communication happens in a timely and accurate way. Okay. If, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. All right. So we've got 80, what's, what's her name? Let's call her Sheila. Is that a good yeah. name? Okay. So yeah, that's she, a great name. So Sheila just got admitted. She's in the ED. She gets she gets admitted. And the doctor who is seeing her types some notes into the are they typing in the HR system at this point? Yeah. So that when she gets admitted to the ED, they're just gonna start using Metagram to to send Metagram text messages, which are private and secure. And what we'll do from there is that there will be words that administration will have wanted to flag. If you think about being an administrator who's overseeing, say, 21 hospitals or even 160 hospitals, right? That's a lot of logistics, a lot of moving parts, right? And so one of the things that they had asked for was it's great if you can secure communication, but that's really not enough. What would really help us is if we could be alerted to certain things being seen because, you know, they snowball, whether they snowball within that patient to a more advanced diagnosis, uh, such as like a UTI to sepsis, or whether they snowball from a system level, because as as you know, infectious diseases are called infectious for a reason, right? And so Mm -hmm. if they can get a handle on something and be alerted to it, then that provides a tremendous value to them. What we're enabling here is kind of a workaround. Like if all the EHR systems, they all talk together and they are all the best of friends, then you wouldn't necessarily need kind of this overlay. But so we're talking about kind of in the meantime, let's just be real practical about this and get this solution solved. You've got care settings off to the side that need to know certain information. So the provider who is seeing Sheila at this moment in time realizes she's got fever or whatever, he or she texts like is like wow everybody needs to know this so they open up their metagram window and they shoot a text just just kind of into the void and then you guys route it or do they know who they want to text yes typically it's nursing triage and i i I wanted to go back uh, to your earlier point and say even if you have instances where emrs are highly integrated or they're all on one emr those are all built for a desktop use case And so there's a whole challenge with trying to bring web-based applications into a low connectivity hospital setting. So that's something that, you know, we had talked about last time is just the idea that just because it works on a computer does not mean it's going to work on a mobile app on a physician's phone, especially if they're in the basement or if they're in the stairwell. And the, the blind assumption by people who may or may not be used to using a lot of mobile apps and imagining that the desktop app will work for mobile, specifically in hospitals, is a challenge that we've been very excited about tackling. Yeah. Um, and so having, yeah. stu- <laughs> having stood with, I'm going to say, 20 other suppliers <laughs> huddled in the halfway between the second and third floor uh, in a sterile because that's the only place you can get a cell signal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've all done it, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So do you feel like most hospitals, and I know I'm asking you for a very blanket statement, but that has not stopped me in the past. Do you feel like most providers these days are more inclined to use mobile than a desktop? Or do you see that as 
a train that's left the station, but it's not far out. I, I think it's the latter. There's tr- tremendous interest and and tremendous drive, especially from the side of the clinicians, right? Because if you think about them, they're very mobile, and it's it's really an interruption and takes up a lot of their time in order to have to go to a desktop every time they may think they may need to check something and log um, in of, and yeah, exactly all of that. So so I, I think you're seeing a lot of generational shifts like in everywhere else. And so it, it just depends, I think, on how much administration cares about, you know, physician satisfaction um, and that those health systems that, that do care about that and that are highly aligned and trying to align with them will take mobile more seriously. Uh, whereas, you know, those that are that don't want to change, <laughs> you know, they, they won't. They'll keep everything on their desktop. Right. You're going to see a, a, a tremendous amount of variation. Where does this text message then go? We're talking about the physicians pounding away in the, the EMR and logging their soap notes or whatever they're doing in there, but then they take it upon themselves to send a a text note of what they think are maybe the key things. The chart has all kinds of stuff in it, like their blood pressure is this, the blah, blah, blah. I mean, it might not be information of a critical nature. Is that why the text message is so appreciated? Because it calls out what matters? Yes. And it's also that the initial intake is not going to be from a physician. The initial intake in this emergency department admission uh, with Sheila um, is going to be nursing triage that sees her first, right? And so in this setting, they've already established that Metagram is their initial way uh, of communicating with the care team because the sooner you coordinate and share information with the care team members, the better you're going to be at managing length of stay, right? And so it would be nursing that would be sending the messages about the elevated blood sugar, about the elevated white blood count, uh, about the rapid breathing with reduced oxygen. She would be sending that to the emergency department physician and the hospitalist on call for the ED initially as the patient gets admitted. It's up to the nurse really to cut out the, I mean, I, I know one of the things and we all know about alert fatigue, right? So one of the reasons why alert fatigue is so prevalent is because you've got a computer just alerting about some rules-based thing that they say there's a difference between in, intelligence and wisdom. So computers just pop those alerts all over the place. But if you've got a nurse actually who's deciding what matters, do you see that the physicians are much more receptive to a human-generated alert? Or do you wind up with physicians who are now getting lots of alerts just from a nurse instead of a computer? Definitely. I mean, it's all about driving context. I mean, it's definitely about making it more relevant, you know, to the clinicians. So in addition to the nurse typing the messages, you know, using text analytics to pick up the keywords, um, that's to help drive context, right? And so we find that care teams, you know, are increasingly being built as cohesive units. And so, of course, they don't mind if uh, another care team member is sending them relevant information important about a patient that's going to help them all win together uh, as they look to to drive the most efficient length of stay. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about those text analytics in a second because you've mentioned them two times and both times I thought to myself, I need to ask about that. But this first, and I totally get what you're saying. There is huge value and, and one of the main 
things that I have heard. This was actually in Dr. Watchter's book, The Digital Doctor. He said, you know, communication really matters and the relationships that people have, that providers have with one another. If you're functioning as a cohesive group, your outcomes are going to be a whole lot better than if it's just five people who don't even know each other. So if we're talking about a care team that knows each other and works together and I'm getting a message from Nurse Nancy, who I know very well, that's a whole lot different than getting a message just from the great beyond. But we also were talking about how it's important that different care teams and different care settings work together. Would it be the case that those text messages are not only going out within the one institution, but they're also going out to the the skilled nursing facility down the street that's going to be getting this patient subsequently? You know what I mean? Like, do those text messages cross geographic facility borders? You definitely want to do that. So the reason why I was talking about the inpatient is that if you can quickly share the information that needs to be shared and get the patient to a step-down unit, you can reduce the length of stay from what would be four or five days to three days, right? And then certainly uh, as you're getting ready to discharge the patient, meaning so if Sheila was admitted on a Thursday morning and her care was highly efficient and the team was able to get her discharged by Saturday morning, then when she gets discharged and they decide based on her severity of illness, based on like what kind of social support she has at home, um, they'll decide whether or not she should go home um, and be managed by daily home health visits, or they'll decide whether she needs to go to skilled nursing. And in both of those instances, you would have the case manager and certainly possibly a nursing staff member in a conversation with care providers, both home health or skilled nursing, depending on where a patient goes. What happens with these text analytics? I'm Nurse Nancy and I'm like texting away. This, you know, Sheila's got all these problems and I send it out and it gets sent to the, as you said before, the emergency room physician and the hospitalist. So, okay, so now you've got this this text message being lobbed out there and you said it's getting analyzed. What happens there and where does the information get sent, the analyzed information? So it definitely gets sent to either somebody in the quality department or in informatics uh, and and certainly in administration. So, uh, you know, the way that we see it is that any of these tools, whether it's text analytics or anything else, you know, you want to take as much off the plate from the clinician in their workflow as possible to support the clinician, right? That's the job of administration, right? And so user interface is a dashboard for administration for them to know that this particular patient, because of the flagged words like fever or like confusion or like white count, that because of those specific words, they'll know that this specific patient, Sheila, has a high risk for sepsis heart failure, or an increased length of stay. And they can then put attention to that, whether it's through case management or other resources. That's pretty cool. So what happens is, is that, you know, Nurse Nancy, she's just sending a text. Like, she's not necessarily putting together all the the pieces and realizing that Sheila's going exactly. to have a hypoglycemic, exactly. yeah, whatever, or that Sheila maybe is allergic to X, Y, and Z. What happens is, is that that text message is then parsed down. The individual pieces are... Is this artificial intelligence or something that you guys are using? You know, it's very simple. Initially, it's just text mining, which is very simple. And it's accomplished through we have our own back end um, database 
um, and server, which are the same framework, which is just a fancy way of saying that technically uh, it's all connected and related in a way that enables text mining, which is very simple. Uh, it's not 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 anything like the artificial intelligence that people imagine, you know, when they watch sci-fi uh, or, or or any other or, or read any articles in in Tech Republic. So initially, um, it's not even parsing the whole text message. It's simply the mining and the flagging of specific words that administrators know are related to areas that they want to focus. And so there's a, some different, a variety of use cases, not necessarily like I said with Sheila, with knowing you know, that she has certain risks or knowing that she needs certain kind of additional management support. Um, but there's also the use case of a physician using a word like urosepsis, which happens all the time. And urosepsis either means a UTI, it could be a young woman, it could also be a 74-year-old woman presenting with dizziness and fever, and, it, and and she could have been there two midnights. Now, if you take the 74-year-old woman, she's been there two midnights, it, it, she's probably got more than a UTI, right? But the physician may have typed urosepsis uh, for, for both the younger woman who's got the simple UTI and for the 74-year-old woman who's got the fever and more of an advanced infection. And so if the administrator is able to track a word like urosepsis, um, that's something that can save them some millions of dollars because if you if you code for a simple UTI, that's a fifteen hundred dollar code. But if you code for someone who has sepsis due to advancement or, or progression of a UTI, um, that's a that's six thousand dollars, right? And so, and it's very hard to do if if you don't have a handle on the right definition. I'm getting the sense that what Metagram does is kind of sitting there, like air traffic control in some way, you know, on high alert for certain words and phrases, which are meaningful, they go flying by. And if those words and phrases go flying by, then it takes them and it routes them in the appropriate way so that if additional action is needed or logging is needed, that that occurs systematically. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Yeah. And and and, and, and away from the care team, you know, initially is the feedback we so let me ask you this. I mean, I know that one of the things that also in your your role at HIMS, because you're very active in HIMS on the West Coast, that you see a lot of technology vendors attempting to do whatever it is that they're attempting to accomplish. If you were going to give some advice to someone looking to create some technology? Are there either to-dos or are there any cautions that you would offer up? You know, that, that that's a great question, Stacey. And, and, and last time we talked, I, I just mentioned that people fail to recognize the complexity of the environment, not just the clinical complexity, kind of like what we've been talking about, and the related financial complexity, as well as the technical complexity, uh, not just with the different systems and all the different standards, uh, but, but also hospitals themselves are high interference environments. And so again, that assumption, you know, usually, you know, digital health vendor, you know, that whatever worked, you know, at their house or garage and, and whatever worked in the VC's office would work in the basement of the hospital is something to be very cautious um, that that the developer is really clear and has good access to the health system to be able to really test to see if their of what their their solution they're proposing actually works in the environment. I mean, we've seen companies spend a decade and millions of dollars, and and one of the health systems locally told us like like their solution doesn't work because of our low connectivity environment. And they have this be all these beautiful features, um, and 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 so. 
it's heartbreaking for me to see because because you know people have an interest and they want to make a difference. But I would just say the caution is make sure you really look at the environment and, and make sure that what you're thinking about actually works. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And we are running short on time. So I am just going to pose this question to you. Is there anything that you think it's really important that people know that we have not talked about thus far? I do. And I I think that if I could put it under the advice category, uh, it would be that to succeed in the current environment, it's really important to be specific about very specific use cases, very specific diagnosis related groups, and really have an understanding of how those service lines that treat those diagnosis related groups with those specific patients are going to be managed because the the way that you design solutions, uh, whether they're technical solutions or consulting solutions to assist providers in becoming more uh, successful, there's no one size fits all. Right. And so uh, like readmissions is really important for congestive heart failure. It's a high cost driver, uh, whereas with joint replacement, it's more post acute network management. So so I would say that the most important thing is just really diving in um, and understanding that patient's care journey. You have written prolifically about topics along these lines. Where can people find out more information or, or find your writings or more information about Metagram? Should they be interested? Oh, thank thank you. Yeah, I welcome that. So I I put a lot of content both on LinkedIn and on on Medium and working to demystify uh, a lot of these uh, mandates, regulations, uh, and how technology, uh, not just Metagram, but just technology uh, as a whole can be applied to help. And why don't you spell your name or what should people search on in order to find this stuff? All the links will be on the website, but just in case someone is audio only staunchly. (laughs) Sure. It's Sherry. It's S-H-E-R-R-I. And my last name is Duville. It's a D as in David, O-U-V, like Victor, I-L-E. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Sherry. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Stacey. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, You will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.